This podcast is brought to you by the HSP World Mastery Program, dedicated to inspiring and empowering HSPs. Hi, and welcome to the HSP World Podcast. With each episode, we invite a guest with the HSP trait to have a conversation about a burning HSP-related question they have. We're not coaches or therapists. We're HSPs holding space with you. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas, and your other hosts are... Robin. And Rain. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. We have a guest with us today. We, in fact, have invited back a guest who was with us several episodes ago. So welcome back, Elliot. How are you? Hi, I'm doing good. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> and the, we were in touch a little bit between episodes, and we actually determined kind of all together that it would be a good idea to revisit a topic that we looked into the last time that you were here. Right. So we were talking a little bit about how HSPs could deal with eco anxiety. And now we're going to maybe look a little bit more specifically at the emotions that might be involved for HSPs when talking about the climate crisis. So I understand that this is a topic that is really uh, very dear to your heart, Elliot. Is that right? Yes, um, I think it's something that we don't talk enough when we mention climate change. So I'm very glad that uh, you guys were interested to make an episode about it. Yeah, I think something else that I understood was that you were reading, I think there was a particular book, right, about some of the emotions behind climate change. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about that? Yes, so it's a bit dense, so I actually I read it uh, not long time ago, but I was reading my note again, but it was really interesting to understand a little bit better about uh, actually what is happening in our head when we talk about climate um, change, and especially how to reverse it into climate action. So mm -hmm. it's it can be linked to emotions, but also more like uh, cognitive. So yeah, it was a really interesting book uh, written in French. So maybe not uh, books you can read, but. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see if we can find, uh, we might have some French speaking, French reading listeners. So we can still put a, a quote to that in the show notes. We'll get in a moment to specifically, you know, how this um, impacts HSPs, right? I'm just wondering if you have some takeaways from, you know, on the emotional side, what are some of the things that they said? What are some of the emotions that tend to come up or how that plays out for people? Yeah. So the, the main thing that actually understood was actually what they define actually what is emotions, because uh, I think, it, I mean, we know what is emotion, but at the same time, we don't really know what is it. And it was really <laughs> interesting to... <laughs> To understand that actually emotion is basically a kind of adaptation about how we interact with our environment. So in here, in this context, we talk about climate change. So from our perspective, of course, it's seen as a danger and we have different cocktails of emotions that pop up that are not meant initially to hurt us, but more like to make us react. But mm -hmm. as you probably see, you know, with climate change, there is eco anxiety and those emotions actually are doing the, um, the opposite effect of what they are supposed to be. That is, instead of pushing us to act, we have different type of 
bad mechanism, if I can say, that make us uh, looking away or feeling guilty or um, other negative emotions. So it's it's really complex. I got lost when I was reading the book, but at the same time, <laughs> it's, um, I think it helped me to understand a bit better about, uh, yeah, why we act like this. And actually, this podcast is happening at the right time, because I guess you've seen the movie Don't Look Up, and also how people were reacting toward the meteorite that, of course, you people may understood as it was a comparison to how we react toward climate change. Yeah, good point. <laughs> I, I think what you're speaking to there is that sort of sense of overwhelm, right? We read or we see what's happening around us, especially when it relates to climate. And one of the directions that we might go is just feeling overwhelmed by it. Like, you know, what, what do I do? What can I do? You know, mm. what I am just one person. Mm. So, so that at least initially that's sort of like where I go when I think about it, it's like, oh, it's so, gosh, that's so overwhelming. Mm. That, that's a good point. Let's maybe segue a bit into how this group of HSPs who are on the call right now, um, <laughs> you know, how have you been impacted by a situation that is objectively, you know, overwhelming, but emotionally, what, what kinds of things have been coming up for, for you? Well, I can certainly speak to an event that is tied to it. And that is, there was a day, so I live in San Francisco in California, and there was a day where the smoke from the wildfires that we have was so overwhelming and so dark that it was like at night in the middle of the day. I went out at uh, one o'clock to walk around and it was as if it was the middle of the night. That's how thick the smoke was. We have been experiencing many, many more wildfires in the last decade and a half here. But that experience is is just, it's indescribable. I mean, to, to go out and have it be like nighttime in the middle of the day is a very overwhelming experience. And there is sort of a, you know, it's like, okay, I better just go inside and close the windows and, you know, turn on all the lights and not think about it type of attitude that came up in me, <laughs> right? I mean, I have to admit there was also, for me, there was also a bit of like, wow, this is, you know, a little bit of curiosity, I guess, a little bit of awe and wonder because it's something that I had never experienced before, yeah. but, but also dread, right? There was a, a feeling it's like, gosh, is this going to be, you know, something that I have to deal with every year now, you know, is it going to be every August and September and October where we go outside and, and we, well, we can't go outside because of the smoke, you know, because of the particulate matter and all that. So there, there was that, that dread that came up as well in me. Yeah. How about you? Well, I think for, for me, there's a bunch of different emotions that come up. Um, anger <laughs> would be one, mm. you know, shame that we're at this spot kind of thing with, with what's happening. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the uncomfortable, not great to feel feelings that we we're not we're not really um you know in our fast-paced society 
it seems that we're constantly being pushed or, or, or I feel um, that I'm constantly being pushed to just push that aside, push that aside, push that aside, move forward, move ahead, move ahead, kind of a thing, just uh, ignore it. Right. And I think that really speaks well to an opportunity that we can miss out on, which is one of the greatest strengths we have is our ability to feel deeply, right? We can perceive and feel deeply and connect. A lot of HSPs are very much enjoy nature and, and receive a lot of sustenance from it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's realizing that it's not about pushing it aside or, you know, rushing through it or, or not wanting to look at it, (laughs) which is what, you know, depending on where a person's at and how able they are to process that and be okay with processing it. Because I do feel like there we're missing out um, on a lot of, of beautiful opportunities to actually transform that into something that is beautiful. Okay. I find that really interesting that you bring that up brain. Um, and I know a little bit towards the one place that we're hoping to go in this conversation is to talk about, you know, some of the constructive elements that come out of feeling so deeply, but I can, I can share that it's definitely something that's difficult for me. Most of the time I would say, as much as I would not like to admit it, the truth is most of the time I'm walking around in, in denial. I don't live in a, an environment where the current effects of climate change are very evident. I live in a place that already has a harsh climate. So there's a little part of me that's like, well, you know, <laughs> so it's going to get a bit colder or it's going to get a bit harder, whatever. We've been doing this forever, right? And just kind of being going along with the lifestyle, going along with normal, consumptive, capitalist lifestyles and not, um, I mean, yes, sometimes questioning, you know, should I really be buying certain things or disposing of things certain ways? But if I think about it, I very quickly feel overwhelmed. So it's for me, it's a lot of helplessness, Mm -hmm. cynicism, not trusting that I as an individual have much impact and also not really having faith in larger institutions that potentially do have enough power to make a change. So I don't really have faith in my abilities or in theirs. And sometimes just, just really have a a very dark view, like, okay, maybe, maybe there's nothing to stop this train right now. So, uh, yeah, so, so kind of a little bit of despair in, in throwing my hands up and either pretending the problem's not there or just thinking, I really don't think there's anything that I can do about this. I would also add, I thought of another emotion, disgust. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you know, when I drive by big box stores and just think, my God, like, how are we still doing this? How are we still consuming in this way? You take your SUV from the suburbs into this area that's solely dedicated to consumption and, you know, for which they've raised 
either communities or or at the very least like a bunch of trees right mm-hmm. a bunch of green mm-hmm. areas at the very least they've they've destroyed that to be able to create this so so occasionally when i see that there's there's a little bit of awe <laughs> like wow i can't believe we we did this and i mean think how future generations are going to condemn us for this you know in the same way that we we look at practices of the middle ages and just shake our heads and say how the heck did you guys do this to yourselves i think you know, future generations will likely see us in the same way. So sometimes seeing myself as small in a little piece of history, sometimes it, it makes me feel more connected and more in awe of things. But most of the time, it's just uncomfortable and a little bit sad, I would say. And you know what, you know what this is kind of making me feel? It's almost as if the feeling of, of grief, right? Yeah. The feeling of grief, because I, I don't know about, about you guys. I'm not sure I've actually really seen anybody deal with grief in a healthy, transformative way. And you, sorry, do you mean with regard to this issue or in general? Yeah. Yeah. No, just, yeah. Well, grief is grief. I mean, you can have grief if somebody passes away, you can have grief if you're, you're talking about the the state of our climate, you know, and what's happening and, you know, with climate change. So to me, it almost feels like grief is, is the pinnacle thing. And so few people seem to be versed on how to go through that transformative process. Yeah. Well, I think you're actually, my my guess is that you're actually emotionally a couple of steps ahead there, right? Because I don't think, um, again, first of all, I think you have to have a concrete sense of the loss, right? Like if it's not clear if a person has died or not, Mm. or if someone is gone from your life, but but they're kind of around, you kind of see Mm. them on Facebook or whatever, right? Like Mm. they call that complicated grief, but it's especially complicated if you don't know you don't know if if the end is really there, right? And I'm not, I'm not even talking about like uh, denial of climate science here. I'm I'm just saying like in my case, I don't I don't physically see the loss. So mm-hmm. mentally and emotionally, it hasn't registered with me yet. And I think maybe some people who are either working at the forefront of these problems or who are really immersing themselves and doing the research. Uh, or, or, or reading up a lot on it, maybe like Elliot's doing, like, I think in that case, yeah, you can, it has occasionally hit me occasionally uh, to have a moment, a sense of loss and grief, but most of the time it's not, you, you just can't, you don't witness it. Right. But we'll, I think we'll get there. I think more and more people will get there as we start to observe these things mm. or feel the effects in a real way. Mm. And, and it may also be something that you become aware of more as you get older, because I've certainly noticed in my lifetime some dramatic changes in, in some of the beautiful yeah. natural areas that I visited. Yeah, and I, I suppose that's how I feel about it, is that it's, it's processing grief and transforming it mm-hmm. is, is a skill. You know, and it means not shutting down, 
you know, which is something as HSPs we're told not to feel, (laughs) to stop being so sensitive, right? And we, we see it having an impact on, you know, some people, you know, not, not a huge amount, but some people. So to me, it almost feels like being able to navigate through that process, the emotions, the emotions of grief, and then allowing that transformation to happen is, is something that we could, we could benefit from. It feels Mm -hmm. to me like sensitives, we could benefit even more from, and, and like I say, not just for climate, you know, that these different things that are happening with climate change, but also, you know, with our day-to-day lives, if a loved one passes away or, you know, anything like that, being open, I suppose, being open to exploring the process of grief and moving through it, how that turns into a skill, a skill that we can use to navigate the big things that can make us feel helpless to, you know, it's not a small thing if somebody passes away that means a lot to you. So so it's, it's a small thing to somebody else probably, but it's not to you, right? But having that skill to do that in a way that, that is meaningful is what, that's what's sort of coming up for me. What do you, how do you feel about this, Elliot? Actually, I was thinking a lot about the notion of grief if I'm in this stage, because I actually, I think that I, I understood the connection that I had with HSP related to actually how I felt about climate change more than actually the relationship with people. And uh, Mm. I think since I've been always really curious about the nature, like the complexity, I I started to learn more about it. So of course, when I understood how it was modified by our impact, I think I kind of coped directly by, well, I can say activist, even if it's not like there is different level of activism. And I, I, I guess I have the opposite issues that maybe doing too much in order to kind of like shut down all the the fear and the anger that I have about how we don't do enough about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, actually I was reading a book and there is an environmentalist that used this African proverb or, or story that I really like that is about the colibri that is in the forest on fire and all the animals are like scared and they are not doing anything and they are just watching the, the forest disappearing and you see this small bird that is just bringing drop of water in order to just do something and all the animals are just telling him that is stupid is not going to manage to do anything and it's just answer that is doing what what is meant to do and I kind of see myself in like this that I of course I'm kind of like angry when I see that uh, okay now we should really act for climate change and again we elect a president or someone that is pro oil and things like this mm. but at the same time it helped me to think that okay we don't know how it will end either we manage to <laughs> to, to say ourselves or we we fuck it up but there is either the opportunity that i just watch and i do nothing and i feel bad about it i feel stress or i act so in the end if the result is still bad at least i guess you get busy and you still manage to get some positive emotion, the feeling about fulfillment, uh, the feelings also when you you meet other people that actually are really inspiring. 
Also, the, mm -hmm. the way that you see that you manage, to, you manage maybe to change people to do small things. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't know if, yeah, I, I think I maybe I try to avoid the grief as much as possible because maybe I might not be able right now to cope with this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, I think it's really, yeah, it's an interesting point, though. If you, like, action can be ambiguous, right? Like, acting a lot could be trying to turn your feelings into, into positive action, or it could be avoiding your feelings. I think, yeah, from the outside, there's no way to tell. Mm. But, you know, that that's something that you yourself figure out right and maybe it's a bit of one um, one day and a bit of the other on the other day but yeah I think if you still can I think just awareness of the emotion right awareness of the emotion and awareness awareness of whether or not you're in touch with it too mm -hmm. right that would mm -hmm. be that would be really important mm-hmm and for HSP, so, so really narrowing in on, on how HSPs are feeling about all this. I mean, one thing to expect is that your feelings are likely to be more pronounced, right? It's going to have the volume turned up. Right. Mm. So that, I think, I mean, that, that in itself can be scary, right? Like I think for myself, sometimes when I'm resisting actually having a feeling, it's because I think that feeling could, could be very strong could be mm. in itself could be overwhelming mm. if I got into it. But yeah, I think there are, there are more or less constructive ways to, to address that. So maybe, maybe we want to move on to this other point about what are some ways that being deep feelers could actually help us in this situation. Well, the, the place that I'm going to in my mind now is I was going to say collective action, but actually that's not necessarily where I wanted to go. I wanted to say like collective, um, collective feeling, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. There's the power that, that I get when I am expressing my feelings to others, to someone else that maybe even just be in a one-on-one -on -one situation, but still it's, it, this is something very powerful about speaking those deep emotions to someone and, and being heard and be in listening to someone speak their emotions to you. So I think there's something about yeah. not, not just collective action, but collective trying to find a word for it. Yeah. I think collective feeling and, and awareness of feeling. Mm -hmm. Cause like we're saying, you can't, you, you can't process what you're feeling if you keep avoiding it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's going to take you in a place that isn't rooted in something real. So, you know, maybe one way to shake yourself out of complacency and in turn shake other people's out of a certain level of complacency is to start naming these things about how we mm -hmm. feel and mm -hmm. how we're being impacted by things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I very much agree with that, Ron, because allowing ourselves to feel those feelings, not getting carried away on a tide by them, but, but still allowing ourselves to feel them. And like you say, Robin, I know for me, if that feeling gets to be too much, what I'll do is sort of in my mind, I'll imagine the feeling it's usually a color and I'll like, it, you know, it's like a pie 
and I'll like just you know cut a piece of the pie. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and that piece of the pie is what I'm gonna is what I'm gonna deal with, you wow. know, t- today kind of thing, right? And then applying my energy and and you know the cycle of of grief and the transformative energy. The, the way those feelings can be transformed, right? So that I don't feel overwhelmed by it, you know? Wow. Because we're, you know, when you, I mean, I really do, it feels to me like it really is, it's grief, right? And when we look at, you know, how grief is dealt with in our society, I mean, what, you know, what do you get? Five, five days off of work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, if a, if a loved one passes away, kind of a thing, and we yeah. we very much know it's it's a much longer process than that. Well, for HSPs, it is. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's much more about the energy of the emotions mm. and being willing to explore them, while not, you know, not not sort of coming to the point where you know where you're drowning you know it's like yeah heading well, out to sea but not and you also also you know remember that in other cultures and, and in older cultures grief was processed in a much more collective way as well that's it that's absolutely it. Right? yeah absolutely. and that's that's one thing you know that's i was looking for like collective transformation that's really the word yeah. i was looking for yeah there's mm-hmm. there's a there's a transformation that happens when you can feel together after the break robin expands on the idea of collective transformation and the need for connection when processing feelings we'll be right back after this our podcast is brought to you by the hsp world mastery program with a mission of inspiring and empowering highly sensitives so you can use your natural creative abilities to co-create an amazing and hope-filled future. The HSP World Mastery Program uses data-driven, positive tools and methods supporting your growth in a way that's gentle, thoughtful, and caring, with an emphasis on positive impacts and results on your daily life. You can learn more about the HSP World Mastery Program by visiting hsp.world forward slash mastery. Now let's return to our podcast. I I was going to say, Thomas, I think part of what you're pointing towards is the necessity of connection, Mm -hmm. right? Connection as a, as a healing for, for grief Mm -hmm. and for loss. And it's, absolutely true that if you are not connected to your own emotion and you're not able to communicate that in some way to other people, then you are compromising your ability to connect with others. There is no connection if you don't know what's going on with yourself. Again, it doesn't have to, you don't have to necessarily put words on it and name an emotion, you know, with a specific word, but you have to have some real relationship with it and understand what it is and be able to somehow communicate that with, with other people if you want to have uh, a strong connection. And I think, you know, something that, well, I don't know if I should say this because it, this is something that leads me to overwhelm too, is that I, I see often philosophers will talk about the interconnectivity 
right, of all these issues, right, of eco-justice and gender justice and people's rights and all sorts of different things. And I think, indeed, it's, it's a social crisis. It's not mm-hmm. just a, an environmental crisis. It's a social crisis as well. Mm-hmm. And it is this inability for us to have social structures that bind us in a, in a nourishing way. And without that, then it, it makes, yeah, it makes collective action harder to do and it harder to, to carry out. And it just reinforces the problem. Mm. The problem being the opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say a bit more on that? Oh, um, well, that, that, you know, just, just that oftentimes what can seem like a problem is really an opportunity for growth, you know, mm-hmm. whatever way that looks like. And, but I really like what you're talking about there, Thomas, about collective grief and finding healthy ways to share in that. I think that's, I think that's a really powerful, very, very powerful tool we can use because while, while the emotions, you know, grief can be all kinds of things. It's not just grief, right? There's tons of things, anger and, you know, shame that you're not getting over it faster or whatever, (laughs) or, you know, all these different things that, that come with grief and, you know, it's very nuanced with the emotions. But like I say, for me, I found being willing to go through it and sometimes go through it, you know, over and over, but just do it in small pieces. For me at first, it was small pieces and not so deep, you know, (laughs) so that I could prepare myself because our emotions do, our emotions do go deep. That's one of our, that's one of the most beautiful things, you know, one of the most beautiful gifts of having this trait means that we do feel these feelings, but not knowing how to feel them in a way where we're, you know, we're going to be okay with it. Because of course, when you're starting off at, at, you know, the beginning of it, it's not comfortable. You know, it's not not comfortable to feel those feelings. And, you know, you go on social media or you go on the TV or you do whatever, and everybody is all about be happy, 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 you know, and and it's like, well, we're not supposed to feel happy all the time, right? (laughs) Otherwise, why would we have been given this wide, diverse range of emotions to experience if we were only supposed to feel a couple of them, right? you know? it's that would be a waste you know that that doesn't allow for any type of transformation or moving through that the energy of those emotions because to me it is it feels like the energy of those emotions is what can be daunting at first Mm -hmm. you know and and we need permission to to do that and and likewise and likewise it's not just about all happy 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 i mean in, in in some ways you know, social media can be a very depressing place too. <laughs> you know, this is wrong and that is wrong and oh my God, and this is happening and mm-hmm. the news and Twitter and all that. So it's worth remembering that we are capable and we should explore the entire breadth of our emotions and not just stay in one corner, not just stay in the, the happy, happy corner or in the everything's bad corner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would like to take a moment 
to think of some positive emotions that might be constructive here and that might be more likely to be experienced by highly sensitive people. There's actually some preliminary research that's come out. There are some researchers out there testing people's level of connection to nature. Well, self-reported, right? How connect, how connected people say they feel to nature, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we all know somebody who doesn't care if they're sitting next to, I don't know, a parking lot or a forest. <laughs> and then we know people who want to go hug trees, literally. So it may, I think it's intuitive that there's a range for this, this level of this kind of trait. And there is a study uh, that came out. This one was done by Annalisa Seti and her colleagues. It's hot off the press, it's, or it's going to be available soon. So you do have to take it with a grain of salt. But it's interesting. She did a few studies and found that in a study of, well, collectively for over a thousand people, there's a correlation between sensitivity and reporting feeling connected to nature. So these feelings of being connected to the natural world are likely to be more present in HSPs. And this is really interesting because, you know, we were just talking about social connection before, but mm -hmm. I think connection to nature as well could be a very good motivator for, well, for climate action, of course, right? And as a reminder of why we might be doing what we want to do, right? Mm -hmm. So it could be a good, it could be a good motivator. Sadi did another study where she also found that the other traits of high sensitivity kind of uh, correlate with consideration of consequences on the climate. So she did a study with 800 participants and she found that people who identify as HSPs are more likely to report doing things like recycling or turning off appliances when they're not in use or mm -hmm. engaging in environmental stewardship. Oh yeah, and she, uh, she she specifies also, in addition to the feeling of connectedness with nature, they also have a tendency to experience awe in general. And I think that's come up already in, in our personal experiences. So what she's concluding from all of this is that people who are highly sensitive might be well positioned to, well, in her, in her words, she says, to become ambassadors of pro-environmental behaviors as it's in line with the way that they experience the world. So I think we're very much coming back to Elliot's example of being the little hummingbird who says, well, I'm just doing my job here, even if it seems very small, even if it seems like nothing to everybody else, I'm quietly, you know, dedicated to the cause and, and doing my part. And you might see it as optimistic or you might see it as, as a special capacity or strength of, of HSPs to kind of lead the way on that, you know? I love the hummingbird analogy because mm -hmm. um, I have hummingbirds come to my office window all day long. <laughs> and so I have a connection with them and mm -hmm. I definitely can identify with the awe that I feel. I, I go often to the beach here and I'm just in awe of this magical interface between water and air. And one of the things that I do is I'll pick up some garbage. I do it every time I go out there, you know, there's a ton of garbage out there, but for me, it's like, this is my little hummingbird effort mm. to, to yeah. clean up a little tiny patch of beach every time I go out there. So yeah, I can definitely reflect that. 
you know, it, it's interesting. I, I was roaming around looking for, for, you know, tools, helpful tools. And I found this mindfulness and grief podcast and episode 48 was featuring Ronald Mathias, if I am saying his name right. And it's called The Art of Visualizing Grief, Translating Pain into Pictures. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the ways that I, I feel like being so connected to nature, it feels to me like being open to the process creates an energy already you're starting off with a transformative energy you know you're not kind of blocking it off right from the get-go like saying oh no these are very uncomfortable feelings I don't know how to deal with them or I don't want to deal with them you know whatever it is but just piece by piece a really cool way to sort of mm, gently step into it would be doing something like this. I'll leave the link to that podcast because I did find it really interesting. And, you know, maybe that'll be helpful for somebody. Yeah. Elliot, I'm curious, how do you feel when you're out in nature? Mm. Sometimes it can be really strange because it can be a form of overwhelming, but Mm. almost like if I was drugged, (laughs) But in the good way. <laughs> you, you feel high. Yeah, yeah. Because the first time it happened, I, I was really questioning, did I eat or drink something? Because it was, <laughs> I, I don't know, I had like a lot of things in my mind. And I just went to a park like during Corona lockdown. And uh, even like the the muscles in my neck were completely relaxed. And it, it was really strange. And then that I was more careful about it, I realized that it was happening a lot. So mm-hmm. from, from that, I realized that it's, it's good to try to spend like some time in nature or, you know, trying to take a small walk every day. If it's not, it's not necessarily easy to go into nature if we live in a city, but at least in a park and, or something. And I could really see that it was easier after to focus or to to relax. And Mm. even like um, if I had some dark or negative, not necessarily emotions, but feeling like not good, it was not necessarily done, but I could see it from another perspective. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of research backing that up too. Not even just for HSPs, there are definitely connections between the time spent in nature and your yeah. physical and, and mental well-being like it's it is it, it seems like a strange concept but for whatever reason it it really it's it's a solid link that's been proven maybe yeah. we should tell everybody like all the drug like a very important drug is about to disappear <laughs> you know? like, if, i don't know if all the cannabis in the world was about to disappear maybe people would act more <laughs> Yeah, but but I was I was reading about it and I I I don't have the name of the studies, but they actually compare people in hospital that had the window with a view to a tree or park, and the one that had like facing a um, a wall or another house, mm-hmm. and they, they could really see that uh, they they were in need of less painkillers or sometimes also they were getting out earlier, mm-hmm. and it was just this effect of yes, seeing green. And apparently it was working the same with, you know, something related with water. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
So it, it could be either like this feeling of, you know, focusing on something, so doing kind of mindfulness. And of course, people try to find a more rational reason and try to express that uh, for water, for example, it's, it makes you feel that, okay, water is an important biological need and seeing water makes you feel like, you know, you're safe. Mm -hmm. So I was questioning with nature in general was the same because uh, a lot of people they did some studies in terms of evolution and they kind of say that our brain hasn't really changed since we were, you know, hunter gatherer in the forest. So yeah. basically our brain is more adapt to live in this kind of environment than and with few people than actually being in uh, cities where you interact with I don't know how many people per day and also so many stimulation. Mm -hmm. So in a way, maybe it's just people's well-being, like what is actually good for us, what is not. Maybe mm. people don't, I mean, they maybe don't feel it that way, but then, I mean, you see people having burnouts and stress and without necessarily understanding the, the, the source. So, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that said before that sometimes HSPs are like the canary in the coal mine, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that they react, you know, the, the the old idea that you would send a canary into a coal yeah. mine and to see if it if it came back alive, then mm -hmm. okay, the mine was probably safe for workers to go into. And if it didn't, if it died, then okay, there's probably something that may be hard for us to detect at human sensitivity, but that the canary is quite sensitive to, and that would eventually be poisonous to humans but yeah just this idea that um you know why why do we have one proportion of the population that is so much more sensitive than the others it could be because one advantage of that for the the mm. collective is that they pick up on dangers more yeah. quickly and if we listen to them mm -hmm. we might avoid some issues uh, and unfortunately we don't always so i don't know maybe that just underscores again the importance of hsb speaking up about what yeah. they feel. I, I agree with that. You know, we have to speak our feelings. It's not only good for us, but it's good for everyone else as well. Yeah. But, but I just wanted to add that it's, you know, HSPs, it's part of this neurodiversity movement that they just, they are trying to explain to people that the fact that we have people with such uh, trained the population mean that at some point they had some role or purpose in their population so mm -hmm. it's where mm -hmm. actually i would be really interested to see because i was actually questioning a lot about comparing hsps with you know in population where you have shaman or you know the, this type of people that is yeah. really a bit not well not to, I, I don't know if i can say well integrated but they're kind of aside and they're you know the people that are usually advising but also kind of this mystical co connection with nature yes and, yeah and yeah. I was really, I really would like to see a kind of studies that maybe if they can, because I know that they started to identify some genes that could explain highly sensitivity. So I would be really interested if they were doing this comparison between those roles and HSPs, because honestly, it's what I think, you know, it's, it's being highly sensitive or highly sensitive. It's not like a handicap or not a, a syndrome or, but it, it's more like, right, yeah, uh, right. A capacity that we lost in our daily life. I, I think you're you're hitting on a concept that I know Elaine Aaron writes on about. She writes about that quite extensively. She talks about the priestly advisors, 
mm-hmm. the priestly ah. advisor class. So this idea that, for example, and I mean, this is a real uh, example from history, Alexander the Great, his teacher and at later point in his life advisor was Aristotle the philosopher. So it's a perfect literal example of the warrior and, and leading class being advised by, I mean, I don't know if Aristotle was an HSP, but presumably if he preferred to philosophize rather than to go out into battle, that suggests a, a sensitive disposition. Or, But at, at any rate, we could see why an HSP would do well in a position like that. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great concept, maybe a nice topic to explore for the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Elliot, thank you for today's conversation. And I'm curious to know how you feel about the conversation. Were there points that resonated with you? Yes, it was really interesting to see people who have maybe different uh, feelings or emotion, especially the, the grief. I, I learned a lot and actually I'm questioning myself a lot about this so yeah it was really i really see things from a different perspective so it was really interesting and i i i'm sure that the people that are will be listening to us will also enjoy this well thank you we're always trying to uh, uncover new perspectives or at least think about different perspectives thank you thank you so much ali and it was great having you back again thank you Yeah, and thank you for bringing up this topic. I believe it'll be helpful for for other HSPs. It certainly was helpful for me. I have to say, it's I, I find it a difficult topic to discuss, and preparing for this call actually helped me process a little bit. So, thank you mm-hmm. for that, and of course, thank you to our listeners. So, please join us for our next episode, where we'll be having another interesting HSP conversation. And to any highly sensitives out there who have a burning HSP-related question, big or small, we invite you to ask it on the HSP World podcast. Just email info at hsp.world. And a friendly reminder to visit the HSP World website at hsp.world. Our thanks to the HSP World Mastery Program and to all of you who support our show by subscribing and listening to our podcast, reading the blog post on our website at hsp.world, and chatting with us on our social media channels. Your support is contributing to the upliftment of HSPs around the world. We're very grateful.